Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Lowe Tolhurst, co-founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. To keep the music flowing, we'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org, from Louisville Public Media. Hi, can you hear me? Consequence Podcast Network. And welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with the interview series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org, Consequence, and the Consequence Podcast Network. Thanks, as always, for making your way here and checking out the series. Uh, please do subscribe if you're not already. I put out three new interviews every single week. That's a new one every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to keep you up to date on your favorite artists and discover some new ones as well. Of course, you can do so at iTunes and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, Podchaser, NPR, YouTube for the video versions, or anywhere you get your podcasts from. I'm Kyle Meredith. Today, my guest, Will Sargent. I am such a big fan of Echo and the Bunnymen. Uh, I have been for most of of my adult and teenage life, and so I'm so excited today to be talking with him about his autobiography. It's called Bunny Man, just came out recently. Uh, we're going to jump into, uh, well, what the book talks about, his childhood. It takes us up until Echo uh, begins to make their very first album. Uh, Will's going to tell us how World War II and the Cold War had such a strong influence on his coming of age, and then, of course, the music that he would go on to create, uh, pop culture's importance in the last century, and how artists were creating uh, their own mythology at the time. Uh, he also tells us about accidentally coming up with Rift, Killing Moon, an all-time classic, helping to create post-punk from punk, uh, his distaste for the band's most recent album, and also his plans for two more books that would take us through the Bunnyman's breakthrough success. So let's do it. Discussing Bunnyman, it's Kyle Meredith with Will Sargent of Echo and the Bunnyman. Hi, how are you doing? Uh, we're talking today about uh, not just the music, but uh, you've put out your autobiography called uh, Bunnyman. Uh, this is part one of, uh, of the whole story. Is that correct? Yeah, I've got... Uh... I'm, in my head, I'm planning on doing three, and I've sort of the beginning is growing up as a kid, getting into music, and then starting the band. And then the first year when we we started, we only had there was only three of us, and it was we had a drum machine. So I've documented that because it never gets talked about, you know. Mm-hmm. And then the next one will be like um, crocodiles having up here and touring the world, and you know all that stuff. Then the one after that will be porcupine, ocean rain. That's the plan anyway, so we'll see where it goes. You know, it's I've started the second lot, you know, the second volume, but it's um you never know what little rabbit holes I'm gonna go down, you know. Yeah. 
Well, it's such an interesting story. And uh, I mean, I, I honestly, I devoured it, I think, over just a couple of days. Um, yeah. And plus, I mean, this is the story that's never been told uh, for, for fans who have been around a long time. I guess that's a little surprising. Was there any reason why now was the time for you for, for I guess, the official story of the band for the first time? Well, it was. I started doing uh, the, some of our early records got re-released by a label and they did them in really nice i'm not on about the ones that have just come out now i'm on about you know a couple of years ago it was and they brought them out limited editions in these really nice kind of card covers and they wanted uh, liner notes you know so and they asked me would i do the liner notes so i did the first four album liner notes and i really enjoyed doing it and it was kind of like i realized i could do it like i didn't know i could do this sort of stuff you know it's like I'm an idiot. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so, and I, you know, didn't do anything good in, in English at school or anything, you know. But um, I think it's just because I, I, the way I, I write, it's kind of like, it's almost like I'm talking, just talking, you know. Um, so it's, you know, and the story's already written, isn't it? You know, it's, it's already there in your head. So it's not like you've got to make something up and sort of get some sort of plot going. It's just a line. It's like Lord of the Rings from A to B. <laughs> you know what I mean? You've got to get over there and you start it here. <laughs> so it's not that hard. You, you do paint those pictures really, really well. I mean, we, we start this book, of course, at, at the beginning of your childhood and, you know, and, and, and where you grew up. And, you, you know, we hear about the stories a lot, especially, I don't know if I want to say your generation, but but folks of your generation, your parents' generation, and you hear about it seems like the war was ever present, even if you weren't alive. Yeah. Well, it was, I was only, I was born like 1958. It was only, you know, um, 13 years after the war. Now, 13 years is nothing. You know, you might think what was going on 13 years ago. Like, it, you know, like, remember the millennium? That was like 22 years ago. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. You know, so 13 years is nothing you know so everybody all the all the um adults they would all talk about the war they'd all mention things that happened um it was a big deal you know yeah and it, it was a big it deal seems like yeah it definitely gave you i guess your palette to paint by i mean was that one of the it's it seems obvious for me to ask it but how big an influence was that on the art that you came to create i think the cold war had an influence you know, the war that came after the war, if you like, you know, the sorts of, with the Russians and all that stuff, the Soviets. So, like, you know, that always fascinated me, fascinated me. And I love spy stories and, you know, not, not so much the James Bond side of things, but more the John le Carre, you know, um, Tinker Taylor soldier spy. They're kind of like real gritty, grubby, horrible side of spying, you know, where they're like shit on the friends. You know what I mean? If it gets, if it advances what they want to do, that sort of thing. Not like jumping around in fancy cars with ejector seats. That's nonsense. It was more, a lot more devious than that. And that side of things I really like, you know, I, I, I was fascinated by that, you know, um, and the, the sort of, you know, the communist stuff and all that, you know, the kind of two different um, systems battling each other. I just found it fascinating. And so that was like an influence on me. And I think on a lot of bands then in the 80s, you know, it was, you know, there was like this threat of nuclear war that was there. It wasn't some joke, you know. 
it was actually there, you know. Yeah, so I think it did influence that. I saw the darkness within. When we talk about, I'll just say broadly, post-punk, you know, those, it's those, the juxtaposition, it, it makes a lot of sense. Like, it's not that I hadn't realized that, but in the exact way that you're talking about, especially the, the type of uh, uh, spy movies and novels that you're talking about, because you, you do have that darkness and that danceability at the same time. Yeah, you know, and um, we, we didn't want to go down the obvious route all the time and the kind of, you know, poppy, just too cheesy, all that stuff, you know. But yet the other side of that, I mean, especially, um, you know, if you grew up in the 60s, uh, the poppiness, the Beatles were everywhere. And, and it's funny that there's a part in your book where you you actually, you decide you wanted to apologize for talking about the Beatles as much as you, <laughs> you have. But I feel like that's, like, if, if if you're in the 60s, that's such a big part of the story anyway. Um, and in Liverpool. Right. Well, uh, no, obviously. move for the, yeah. you know, you know every, everything in town, there's statues and little shopping centers and all kinds of stuff, you know, Beatles Museum, the Beatles tour, the Beatles taxi tour, you can go around John Lennon's house and, you know, all this sort of stuff. It's just everywhere. So you can't escape it. But in the 80s, it was ignored. That's the mad thing. Like in the 80s, the council, you know, the, the, the sort of local council of Liverpool would ignored it all. They knocked the cavern down, you know. They just destroyed it and then built a fake one. So what's the point of that? You know, they already had a good one, you know. They, America wouldn't knock Graceland down, would they? And then build a fake one across the other side of the road or something, you know. And thought, oh, we made a mistake. They just wouldn't do it. You know, they know the legacy and like pop popular culture is important. Because it's it's what it's what this last century was all about. Did you um did did have you watched the documentary yet, the get back film? No, I haven't seen it, no. No. Yeah, I, I wonder about actual musicians, like long-term musicians, you know, if you would sit through eight nine hours of watching four people write a record uh it's it's very different i suspect not coming up to go and see it you know i'm not that, that bothered like I'll, I'll watch a bit of it if somebody gives me a free dvd of it or something i might have a look but i'm not that really i'd rather watch There's, there was a good documentary on the telly the night by andy warhol i'd rather watch that <laughs> well the, the uh back to the book um you do this really interesting thing where every chapter is matched up with a song. It's not always a song that you definitely that that actually make an appearance in the chapter. And I was kind of curious in your process in that. You know, I, I was I was really excited to see things like uh, Telstar on there. You know, just stuff that doesn't really get talked about too much. But but what was the significance of the songs to the chapters? Uh, well, it was just what was going on in the background. You know, like Telstar was like when was it sixty something or. You know, really early 60s or something like that. Like the first one is um, um, te Tequila, isn't it? By the Champs, 1958. That's like when I was born. So I didn't, I wasn't aware of it then. Like I love it now. And I love Telstar and I love the whole story of Telstar and Joe Meek producing it and everything. And all them weird sounds at the beginning, which is like an echoplex all feeding back on itself, you know. And that was a lot of sort of, you know, that's sort of almost like a Cold War thing because that was a, it was a communication satellite sent up by the Americans. And before that, we had Sputnik, you know, and that really put the cat amongst, amongst the pigeons, you know. It's just history that's going on that, you know, in the background and music was part of that history. And that's where I liked, you know, I like, I like 
sort of giving it like a sort of grounding of what was going on in the background. You know, like later on in the 80s, there was like loads of, in the 70s, there was loads of strikes and industrial action and stuff. And I remember, I remember the lights going off for two, you know, four hours a night or whatever, because there was no coal to power the power stations, you know, this sort of thing. It was quite exciting. Everybody was like, you know, sitting around playing board games with candles. <laughs> it's really interesting when that stuff happens today because yeah. I think people are less adept to handle those situations. <laughs> Civilization is a thin fabric that can easily be ripped. Well, hearing about um, your first shows, I mean, the way you, again, I'll say paint those pictures, um, seeing Slade and status quo uh, and and the way you talk about the buildup of a show like the one thing i like about your and i'd also say you know and 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 you get this a lot with biographies not not all the time though is is when you realize how much of a fan the author is like hearing the way you talk about the music you know a, as a fan and and wondering you know when that was finally you up on those stages you know, were you still thinking back to those moments, like those people down there seeing me the same way that I, you know, saw Zeppelin? Yeah, in a way, but you kind of, I feel embarrassed by it, really. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's not something I wear with that much pride, if you like, you know, I'm not like, I, I always feel a bit awkward about the whole thing, you know, it's kind of weird. Like, like you say, I'm a music fan, and you know, always will be, you know, but Bought, a, bought an album today, you know, I buy records all the time. Um, so, yeah, it is weird. It is a weird thing that, you know, you, you were looking up to them. And, and I know what, how you build it all up inside as well. You know, you, you, th you think these people are sub superhuman and they're not. You know, they're not superhuman. I'm not superhuman and neither is Jimmy Page. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But to me, when I was 14, it was like, a god, you know. Yeah, so. there was um, it, it like the way your scene became represented. Once it became a scene, one and and that's usually a hindsight thing. It's it's rarely ever in the present. But you know, when you yeah. talk about coming up, teardrop, you know, and just all the bands that you mentioned that it was coming out of that pokes punk scene at the time. But these were just, as you say, these were just your friends. These were just yeah. people, regular people. But but in the eyes of anyone that wasn't around that, they become mythologized. And that's that's got to be such a weird. I know, and a lot of like a lot of it is mythologized by uh, the people that are actually in them bands. They try and make out that they're like something other than they're not, you know. And I don't. I'm just a geezer, and you know, just happen to be like a fell in this situation because of basically because I've got an imagination. That's the only thing. Of that's my only tool, really. You know, and I can um, I can hear like the residents, and some people get like, "Oh God, I can't stand the residents," you know, whatever. But I can hear it in a different way. I don't know. It's um, I like I like discordant stuff as well, you know, and things like that, you know, which other people don't find that palatable. But uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's uh. It's a weird thing. I, don't, I can't quite, I don't really want to understand it. I can't understand why, how, because I think if I start understanding it, it might kill it. Yeah, right. Yeah, you know, I can pick up a guitar now and I'll play you five different things that I've never played before. And three of them might be okay. You know what I mean? It might be like good little tunes, you know? 
But I'm not thinking, sitting here now thinking, oh, what about if I do this and do that? It just sort of falls out the end of my fingers. I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't want to understand it. I was talking with, uh, was, was with uh, Les Claypool from Primus. And, and I was, it was I one was of those like, moments. Yeah, I was, I was just trying to get into the idea of songwriting. And, and he just said it flat out. He goes, you know, it's just jamming most of the time. Like, it's just so, I, w- I don't want to say meaningless, but in a sense, you know, what you're doing in that moment is meaningless. And then what it comes to represent later uh, is, is some, one of the most interesting human weird things ever. Like, yeah. when I hear the opening riff to The Killing Moon, it does something right i mean it does something that and it has for 25 years for myself and that was an accident that was just something you mean the little guitar thing that was just something that i did when we were tuning up and it just happened that the tape was rolling and it got recorded and then yeah i was just checking my guitar was okay you know i never thought oh this is going to be the intro and we went out for a curry and when we came back, the producer, this bloke called um, David Lord, he spotted this little thing and he he put it onto a, a quarter inch tape, you know, bounced it across and then like bounced it back onto the 24 track as an intro. So I, you know, I didn't even consciously think. So this is what I mean. It's like, you know, it's chance, a lot of it. Yeah, you know, things lead you to chance as well, don't they, you know? Like it's a cool little thing, and I, I don't don't know where it came from. I know it wasn't intended as a intro, but it works brilliantly. And uh, trouble is, once once I'd done it, I didn't know how I'd done it because he said, oh, "I found this little thing," and it's like, "Oh God, how the hell have I done that?" Like I've got to try and work it out then, and I still don't know whether I'm doing it the right way when I do it live now of what I did, you know. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I was just checking the guitar was sounding okay. It was in tune or whatever, you know, up and down the neck. That's <laughs> it's it's like the hard day's night thing that people have been trying to figure out for decades too. It's just those weirdo moments. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's um, you know, as you do go through that, uh, as you said, the uh, the agro fueled time of the seventies and and how that sort of built into punk, and then into post punk. Was there was there um, a sense of how those those first generations punk looked at you all as the next generation? Because you you obviously get the point of view from you looking back at them, but but how was it uh, seen that you all were taking that sound to this next the next spot? I, I, at the time, I didn't think you know. I just we sort of got tired of that kind of like you know kind of ranga ranga kind of like angry you know stuff that it was just became a bit boring like to me the more interesting stuff was the likes of talking heads and you know um, perubu and television and all that. a lot of the american stuff and the saints from australia are really like them and wire over in, in england and uh who else um i don't know alternative tv people like this stuff that was doing they were, they were punk but they were kind of still had enough for me to use my imagination on, you know, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, some of that other stuff just became boring, you know, like the pistols, you can't take it away from the sound amazing or the damned brilliant records when they came out. But I, you know, at the time we weren't thinking, oh, we've got to move on to the next level. It's just what we did. Like, you know, all them influences were in there with me and Mac, like, you know, like the Velvet Underground, David Bowie, 
all the punk stuff or some of the punk stuff that we liked, you know, talking heads, television, and then a lot of the 60s stuff as well, you know. And with Mackie, like, really like, you know, like Leonard Cohen, you know, he loved the lyrics of Leonard Cohen and that. So that was kind of a dark thing as well. So all these things go inside, go into you and you, you, you don't know what's going to come out. You just sort of, you always still think, oh, that sounds a bit like uh, waiting for the man or something. And you think that's good, you know, but if it came out and it sounded a bit like, I don't know, bloody some pop thing, you think that's bad and you would avoid it, you know? So it's like things that you hate influence you as much as things that you like because they steer away. You know, they said they're offered down another little road. You know, if you start doing something and it's too cheesy, you think, oh, no, I'm not doing that. That's wrong. And, it, you know, a lot of these things, they could be like massive hits where you kind of like reject them, you know, because they're too cheesy. You know, no, you know, a combination of notes can be seen as a bit crap, but seen, or seen as brilliant. You know, it's it's all about taste, isn't it? You know, at the end of the day, and what, what your taste is. And my taste was more of the, the darker side of things. Um, yeah, we weren't goth or anything. Like, you know, we, we sort of do get, like, Killing Moon and that gets, like, thrown in with the goth stuff, but it's not really goth. If anything, it's European. Just the word itself, killing, does a lot. There's a lot of uh, the work for you on that side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it's, like, it's kind of, it's it's got a, like, I think it's got a strange otherworldly sound that's something somewhere else, you know? Right. And it's such a fine line between something that's catchy and something that's not it's like i said you know there was especially in the drum machine days and 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 i want to say in you know how that led to those songs that ended up on your first couple records you know there was still that danceability there you know it's when you define pop music we always just like when when, if we went to like a disco or whatever and they put one of our songs on it always cleared the dance floor You know, we like every time, like, we, oh no, we put like the rescue on or something and everyone would disappear. <laughs> I can dance to it. It's fine. I can, I can dance to it. Is what I'm saying. I can, I would, uh, I would love to go to a disco where that came on. So you want to be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you. So it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and, you know, everywhere else in, uh, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, no minimum listenership on that. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead, download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. I, I, I do want to quickly hit because one of the favorite things hearing about this is when you all finally do have your first moments on stage up to this point, you still had not heard Ian Mack uh, sing. And that is hilarious. (laughs) A little bit mind-blowing that the trust was there. At the time, it never seemed like such a big deal. It was like, yeah, you know, someone said he could sing, so that'll do, you know. It was, um, a lot of it is like having the guts to do it, you know, and he's got the guts to do it. You know, I wouldn't have the guts to do it. Like, it's all right standing there looking at them shoes, playing a guitar. It's different when everyone's looking at you and you've got to 
just come out with words. So it's just, it's another thing. Well, thank uh, God he sounded good. Yeah, 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 brilliant. Don't know what would have happened if that went the other way. You know, it's like oh, we would have probably still carried on. Yeah, you know, because we were like a team. We were like a gang. You become like a gang, and you're all kind of getting each other's back. You know what I mean? That sort of thing. And it was like that then. You know, did did you? talk any of this over with him as you're writing this book and i only say that being that there is not a definitive version of your all story up to this point no because I, I it's my story it's not his you know it's my story so you know i know what, what i'm only putting in the stuff that the way i saw it you know i don't want to put anyone else's view on it in there they can do their own just what you, you the, the way you do it i mean again it, it it's sort of i don't know finally i don't want to say cleared up it just you know, for for the war, the seventies, just the way that it built into this this glorious noise that you all put out. I mean, it finally sort of makes sense in that way. I'm only trying to throw you the compliment of how well you told that story, your story. Yeah, I, I'm I'm like I get that co- that compliment all the time. Like it's dead well written and all that. I can't believe it really because it's just the way it just came out. You know, really. I did have an editor who would say stuff like. Oh, that bit's a bit confusing. Can you change that a bit? Or, you know, like one time she said, What's the Luftwaffe? You know, so I had to put in German Air Force in brackets. And then I and then I started like somebody I was on Virgin Radio and they said, Oh, the only thing criticism we got is all the mansplaining. Cause like, but a lot of that was like because I, I had one eye on the fact that it was gonna come out in America. And like I didn't know whether Americans would know all these things, you know, like little British kind of things so i sort of explain a bit of it i appreciated but, that by the way yeah yeah <laughs> did you know what the luftwaffe was i've never i'd never heard that word in fact it's up till this point it's only been that word that i've read and i've never heard so thank you yeah i would say well it's just you know like you say you know you weren't born that close to the war so and, you know you can have them flying over your house dropping bombs on your mum and dad yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> my goodness um <laughs> No, it is. It's it's so interesting, though. It's just you know, and I'm going off on a little tangent, a little detour here, but uh, you know, it is how, and and I'm not saying anything new, by the way. Growing up in Europe versus growing up in America, because of what you all have dealt with versus what we've dealt with, and you know, the way we hear things, the way we see things, and that being this ultimate, you know, divide of just uh, the influences, uh, how how they arrive to us, because it's. Nobody has been over here dropping bombs like that. You know, it's not, not, no, not like that. No, not like that. You know, it's, it's weird. Like the thing with America is it's so diverse, isn't it? It's just massive and it's got all the different terrains and weathers and landscapes. You don't need to go anywhere else, really. You know, so I can understand why people in America don't bother coming over to Europe because. They've got enough over there to explore, you know. <laughs> That's true, but I'm still uh, looking for this uh, this whole pandemic to clear up, so I can get back over there. Still, whatever the there is well, a lure, haven't you? You're, you know, your Paris and all that sort of stuff, Copenhagen, whatever. You got interesting cities over here. Yeah, it was, it, it was funny. Like I, we did a thing called Poltergeist. Me and uh, Les, our bass player, a few years, like it was about ten years ago now. It just shows how fast time flies. Like, and. Uh, I did some posters and one of them was like, it was like a warrior on a horse and the horse had like a hood on, but it was like armor really. That's what it was. And it, it's, it's, 
it was a Saracen warrior. And somebody put on my Twitter, oh, we're not, uh, we don't like hoods like that in America or something like this. And I went, it's a Saracen warrior for six, from 630 AD. You know what I mean? It's like, what you want about? And, you know, just, I don't know, it did me, I didn't that. It was like trying to sort of make out some sort of racist crap when it wasn't. It was just like a historical image, you know. And it wasn't even a hood. It was a, it was a, um, like a, you know, a, a kind of like a, a thing to stop the sand getting down the back of your neck or whatever. Yeah. It's a, you, you talk about time passing and, and how quick things are going. I was surprised when I was looking at, uh, you know, not including the, um, what was it? The, uh, the last album with the stars, the moon, the ocean. I'm, I don't know if I'm getting those in the right order, uh, which by the way, I loved somnambulist great song, you know, and, and all the stuff that you guys were doing on that. But I was so surprised how long it's been since the last Bunnyman album proper, because mm-hmm. I, I was thinking like, Oh, it's been probably like four years and it's been what, like seven, eight years, something like that. God knows. I don't count. <laughs> <laughs> I love what you all still do. I do. And, and, and again, I know I'm saying this a fan and I'm just going to lean into the over complimenting here because when do you have the chance, but uh, you know, on the fountain, Bands, when you're around for a long time, I don't think you ever get enough credits for the later catalog stuff and what you all doing. Rare has there been a time where I didn't absolutely love everything that you all put out. And, um, you know, just thank you for continuing to do that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Is there more? Are you going to do more? I mean, uh, I-, I assumed with the, uh, the what was it, the BMG deal and, the, and that last record that that was just a lead up to something else that's usually what those kind of deals are like like re-record yeah. the old stuff and then give us a new one yeah i, I wasn't that keen tell you the truth <laughs> like i didn't like the idea of recording the old stuff and uh there you go yeah that's the point of it um yeah there's there's another record eventually i think just eventually <laughs> <laughs> i'm a greedy fan will that's all this is coming down to COVID things have kind of ruined everything, yeah. you know, and it's, uh, yeah, it's hard to get together and do it, you know. I get it. So in the meantime, I mean, is the book, The Concentration, the the uh, the follow-up? No, we've got a tour coming up. All We're right. starting, yeah, it's on Wednesday. Jeez, that's uh, soon. You ready? Uh, well, I haven't played, last time we played was 2019. I played, you know, I played guitar and stuff, but um, I've not played any Bunnyman songs since 2019 so I'm gonna have to try and remember them all well as you said it's not like you have to do them exactly the same way you know we're still I gonna mean, you know it's sort of ingrained a lot of it you know you can't uh once you stick with guitar and you just know where you're going but, uh, we've got like we've got a lot of rehearsals coming up um so should be all right Again, I do love what you all do. Uh, well, I enjoyed this book, uh, Buddy Man, so much. I cannot wait for the sequel. I know. Yeah, I need to get get, get me asking gear on that. I've done, I've started it. Like I've done I've done one chapter, and it's the, it's a bit when Peter Freitas does his first bit of drumming with us, you know. And it wasn't really an audition. We didn't really we didn't know what an audition was. Yeah, it was just like, oh, we know a drummer. Okay, you know, that was it. And like when we had him drumming, we thought, yeah, that's great. It was only later on we realized how great. Just the amount of fortune that you all had 
And, and you, you do talk about that in the book, just to, you know, how it lined up within that first year. It's like, luckily your lead singer could sing. Luckily yeah. there was a press or a press guy in the crowd. Luckily there was a label yeah. guy down the street. You know, it's, it's just incredible. Yeah. Like, you know, there was probably like Bill Drummond was probably had little things going off in the background, but to start, like we only did 10 gigs before we got signed, you know, and that was to Sire Records, which was like, you know, to me, it was like, you know, the Ramones were on Sire and the Talking Heads. You know, I just loved Sire Records anyway. But then um, they used all the money up on the undertones. So we got moved, we got sort of moved to a, another Warner's label, you know, because Sire was going through Warner's, I think. They were, they're all kind of in it together, you know. And that was that was like just another another chance thing that happened, you know. It's weird. Well, I'm sure if you spoke to Mark, he'd be going, "Oh no, it was all destined," and you know, and all that sort of stuff, because he believes in all that sort of stuff. But I think things just happen sometimes through luck. You know, when you, you hear people say to have a story, you know, you've got to have resistance. You've you've got to have the villain. And it's interesting, like it's not. There are hard moments in your book, especially as you as you're growing up and and just your in environments and asshole teachers and um <laughs> you know but but it's interesting because you don't I mean this is a story that it it works out I mean that yeah. you know the, the like, happiness you know, yeah it was just normal then it wasn't like you know everyone at schools like that where the teachers were with it the kids with a rubber pipe. <laughs> You know, it's like normal behavior. It was, and it was, it never seemed like, um, I, you, know, you never felt like you were hard done by or whatever. You know, you didn't think, oh, poor me. I didn't, you just got on with it. You just, you know, you know, it wasn't like, like uh, everyone's got it so easy now. You know, but it was then it was easy for us because we didn't know any difference. Well, I was, uh, was reading some of Bobby's book, uh, last night yeah. and, uh, I looked at my wife and I said, you know, that Pink Floyd song is starting to make a whole lot more sense to me. I, I get where Waters was coming from right. a little bit more now. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. They take each leave them kids alone and all that. Uh, right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, you know, it's all right. That it was normal for you. I'm, I'm going to say, honestly, I'm glad I didn't have that kind of experience. I, you know, I, I, I got I got smacked a few times by some teachers back in the 80s, but uh, luckily it wasn't with a rubber pipe, you know, and so... <laughs> <laughs> Well, we didn't really get it with the rubber pipe, but I used to just use it as like a, a threat and like bash it down on your desk if you were talking or whatever, you know. Um, it was more like an intimidation tool, you know. But we did get we we did get like the cane and stuff like that, you know. The maddest thing about the cane is they do it on your hand. It's not on your arse, like you know, like in the films, you know, like it's on your hand. It, like I never had it, you know. I was either too slippery to get caught, or was a goody goody gum drops. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I never got caught. But um, <laughs> people we know got got the cane, and you get it on your hand, and it's like that's dangerous. Yeah, you, yeah. you know, you, those, those bones are easy to break. That's what I was thinking. That's must yeah. have really hurt. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I had the paddle on the ass, but you know, that's again. <laughs> easy space to to play with right there that's <laughs> get, get, your, get your textbook back down your undies <laughs> <laughs> what an interesting spot to wrap this interview up right here this is <laughs> 
no uh listen uh to anyone watching and there's there's so many interesting parts of this book and and you do you get so far into your life and it just is uh such a good story and really does do a service to the music that you all created uh the the story leading up to it uh again well i'm so looking forward to the uh the sequel and and apparently maybe the entire trilogy too uh thank you for doing what you're doing man nice one thanks enjoyed it take care and uh have a great tour yeah yeah it should be good see ya my thanks to Will Sargent. Uh, the new book, the very first of the planned trilogy of autobiographies, is called Bunny Man, and it's out now. Thanks to you for checking out the episode. Again, uh, please do hit the subscribe button before you get out of here. Uh, three new interviews every single week, one Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at all the usual spots like iTunes and Apple Podcast at Spotify, Acast, Podchaser, NPR, YouTube for the video version, or anywhere you get your podcast from, subscribe to Kyle Meredith with. After that, head over to WFPK.org. That's where I do a show Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern. It's an hour full of song premieres, music news, anniversary spins, bonus interviews, Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern at WFPK.org. Consequence has your music and film news. You can also find me on the uh, social media spots. Uh, That's Twitter mostly, but also Instagram and Facebook, uh, all three of them at Kyle Meredith. I do hope you like and follow along. That does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. That's it. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. Hey there, it's Kyle Meredith from Kyle Meredith With. After you check out the latest episode of my show, uh, be sure to check out some of our other great programs on the Consequence Podcast Network, including Standing BTS, a bi-weekly podcast covering all things BTS and ARMY, and The Opus, Consequence's original documentary podcast exploring legendary albums and their lasting legacies. So head to Consequence.net to listen to these podcasts and many great others. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.